truth. Sit still until you know how this matter will turn out. I have not been able to call my heart since you sent me into the threshold with Boaz. But when I was with him, I felt a strange, strange peace. Love. It is called love, Ruth. <laughs> that is what you felt. <laughs> Naomi, I am so confused. There is a closer relative than Boaz, and it is for that other man's oh. right to redeem. <laughs> do you know this man? <laughs> when do you imagine Boaz to speak to him? <laughs> Could it be days or weeks? Boaz is a busy man. Oh, the whole town is busy, Ruth. We are at the end of the harvest. That is why you have not yet met this relative of ours. Although you could be meeting him soon. Ooh. What is he like? Well, let me see. How do I put this? He is, um, he and is, so? oh. Truth. The law cannot redeem us. It only shows us how we are to live. Only the Lord can truly redeem us. And today we will see what he will do. Both men understand what it means to take on the role as your redeemer. And if either is unable or unwilling, he answers to me. I mean to God. So it is an obligation to marry me a widow and to bring forth a son for one's deceased relation. Yes and to restore for you what was lost because of Father Elimelech's death. That is our custom. The Lord provides for us in this manner. Our closest kinsman acts as our redeemer. Oh, please don't look so worried, Ruth. I have sought security for you according to our custom. And with the way gossip spreads in this town, I am sure everyone has heard of your beauty. Unless he is worried about his children's inheritance or Oh, the details matter not, Ruth. God has seen to our every need. The matter will be settled today. What if and until you then, know? we will... Shalom. Greetings from the master. He has sent me ahead of the procession to bring you these gifts. He hopes that you are pleased. Oh, please, sir, tell me what, 
What is the master's name? She needs to know his name. His name is Boaz. Oh. oh. <laughs> we oh. have just returned from the city gate, where the master has finished negotiating a redemption. As soon as it was completed, he began dancing in the streets. He was oh. dancing in the streets. Oh, the sweetest perfumes will be your prayers. Come, we must ready you as best we can for your bridegroom. Yes. Oh, this is all happening so quickly. Did I not tell you the matter would be settled today? Oh, yes, you did, but did you expect it? Oh. I mean, really, really, can you pinch me so I can know if I am truly awake? Oh, I think I can spare you the pinch. The two of us together could not dream of this much extravagance. Oh, Boaz. Shalom. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh! Oh! Welcome home, Naomi. I come this day to request Here's your hand, hey, thanks, for I have loved you with an everlasting love. You received me in the darkness, and now I will walk with you in the light. You have become my bright and morning star. You are the melody beneath my love song. Therefore, with loving kindness, shall I draw thee to my heart. Your words alone satisfy my thirst. As the Lord has blessed, I now come. We receive that which was written by your hand For it brings joy and prosperity to our land Today we celebrate bending our knees You alone, O oh Lord, build and bless our families You most holy have called us yours Now we sing Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh is our Lord you establish hearts and homes, you bless nations. The rocks will shout if not for our ovation. Singing holy, holy, holy is our Lord. Holy, holy, holy is our Lord. Unto your altar the grain offering we bring. Now we sing Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh is our King. Trusting your promises we celebrate and sing. Now we sing Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh is our King. You establish hearts and homes, you bless nations. The rocks will shout if not for our ovation. Sing holy, holy, holy is our Lord. Holy, holy, holy is our Lord. Holy is our God. Oh, 
Hey, we want to thank Lifehouse Theater and Sarah Pierce, Amanda Springstead, Rick Arias, and Aaron Yanez for their production with us this morning. And Jay Springstead was my servant, so I don't want to forget him. <laughs> Thanks, Thad. <laughs> I hope you do. Full conclusion for us after all of this time of fear and famine, desperate escape, the death of loved ones, financial distress, isolation, barrenness, and bitterness. That's quite a litany of difficulties, isn't it? And yet that's what Ruth pays its attention to, is the struggles of life and how God injects his loyal love into our relationships, into our circumstances, and lets us know that we are cared for. And uh, Ruth and Naomi, Naomi needed Boaz, didn't they? They needed this man who would demonstrate the love of God. And how our world today needs men and women like Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. Would you agree? You know, you look at the news at all of the things that have happened recently, and we realize that the same types of things, the same types of fears and circumstances of life that Ruth and Naomi faced are still present in our world today. Uh, two weeks ago, our world um, experienced financial trauma uh, when uh, Silicon Valley Bank was shut down. Right after that, First Republic Bank, and then uh, Credit Suisse Bank as well. And, and depositors were desperate, and uh, investors were uh, deeply concerned, and stocks nosedived. And we have some of the same fears about financial issues in our world today. I was reading in the newspaper uh, yesterday, actually online. I get the print edition on Sundays for the comics. That's the main thing. <laughs> Horrible tornado hit the middle of Mississippi, middle of the night, 100-mile-long swath of destruction. And people are figuring out today what to do. Samaritan's Purse said we're going to be there. That's actually where I read it. Massive snowfalls. You can, you can go through the news and realize that the circumstances of our lives today are not that much different in terms of the trauma they produce as what was happening to Naomi and what was happening to Ruth. Let me share with you something this morning I think God has for us as we face our lives, as we look at the trauma in our world today. So in Ruth chapter 4, what we're going to discover is God's encouragement to us as to how to respond to a lot of these things. How did Naomi respond? Well, initially, not very good. She changes her name or tries to from pleasantness to bitterness. How did Ruth respond to the demands placed upon her, the circumstances of her life, the loss of her husband, the barrenness of her womb? And how did Boaz respond? Every one of them did the same thing. And that's what the author of Ruth wants us to understand. Every single one of them gave up to gain. They gave up to gain. Hopefully that's in your notes this morning. If it's not, you might want to write it down. In fact, this is the theme of Ruth. All of these people were willing to give up so that they could gain, and not always knowing what they were going to be gaining. But they knew that as God was faithful in his love toward them, as they demonstrated that love toward others, giving up things that they might have held on to. Ruth could have stayed back in Moab. 
Could have had her family life, could have had her traditions, but she gave them up to gain something much greater. Naomi, in this chapter, is going to be giving up her land. That's what Boaz says to uh, the uh, other kinsman redeemer. Hey, Naomi is selling her land. She's giving it up in hopes of gaining something even greater. And we're going to look at how Boaz does the same. So the first thing I want you to notice in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, is that Naomi and Ruth did give to gain. Let's read it together. Chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, and he sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And they sat down. And he said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the the country of Moab, and notice what she's doing. She's selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. That's an important feature of chapter 4. Naomi is giving up to gain. She's selling this land. It's a strategic part of her action, and if you think about it, you realize that when she first came back from Moab... She's bitter, she's hungry, she's struggling, she's homeless, but she's a property owner. What would have been the first temptation for most people if you're hungry and starving and you have an asset you can't eat? You sell it, right? You would sell that land to be able to take care of yourself. But she doesn't do that. Perhaps it was because this was the last tangible bit of a limelech she had in her life. It had been his property, she had been his wife, and this is the last thing left of that relationship. And so maybe she doesn't sell it for that reason, but as we get into the context of Ruth, we notice that there is a greater purpose for her not selling it immediately. She wants to find something better for Ruth. She wants rest for Ruth in the arms of a loving husband. And so she hangs on to it until this very point. Now she's selling it because there's the prospect of a kinsman redeemer who might buy it, redeem them both, and provide a better future. So this is a very strategic action on her part. It's the same kind of thing that Jesus writes about in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So here's a man just taking a hike in the daytime across some property, stumbles on some form of hidden treasure, recognizes the incredible value of that, and he goes home and he liquidates his assets. He sells his home, he sells his fields, he sells his business, he sells his donkey, he sells his kids. No, he didn't sell his kids. But you see how he just takes everything he's got and he he cashes it in and he goes and buys the field where this treasure is. And this story reveals to us that Jesus is saying to the people who would listen to him, look, the kingdom of God is of such great value that if you don't give up everything you've got to gain that, you don't understand what wealth is. It was a powerful message to his followers and to those who would listen if you look at what he describes in the gospels you see some of the gems of this treasure let me read a few of them to you you can find them scattered throughout the landscape of the gospels 
He's talking about forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future. All of them. He's talking about freedom for living apart from the consequences of wrong actions, that there is grace and mercy. He's talking about friendship with Almighty God, the creator of all things, the removal of our shame and guilt, healing of our past hurts, hope for the future, joy despite hardship, love without limit or end, peace of mind in the storms of life, companionship along dark paths, power to gain great victories through prayer, and, and so much more. And Jesus says, if, if you don't see that as something greater than what you already have, you need to learn the value of true wealth. Nate Saint put it well, some of you are familiar with this quote, I learned this as a 13-year-old uh, at our dinner table with a missionary pilot. He shared this quote with us, and it's, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. And that's the book of Ruth, giving up to gain. So Naomi is willing to sell everything she had to obtain what was so much better, this kinsman redeemer, this new relationship. And the question it begs for us is, what would we give up to gain more of God's loyal love, more of his redemptive power in our lives? We are introduced to a, uh, a gentleman. He's the unnamed kinsman. It's interesting, he's the only one in the book who doesn't have a name. And yet he's a close relative of Boaz and Elimelech. They, they would have known him. But the author of Ruth refuses to name him personally because he refused to give up to gain. Look at his story in verses 4 through 6. It says, So I, Boaz, thought I would tell you of the sale and say, Buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. You're the closer relative, the closer kinsman redeemer. And the man said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz slips in the kicker. He says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And he hands him his sandal. At first glance, as you look at this man, you, you sense he's very willing to give so he can gain, right? But his purpose is to give up money for the field so he can gain more wealth, more holdings, uh, so he can increase his standing in the community, so he can invest in future harvests and, and even greater wealth. So he's very willing to give that up to gain even more for himself. But the moment he realizes he would have this responsibility of marrying the Moabite woman in the name of the former owner of the land, something snapped. And he changed his mind. And he says, I can't. And his reason is he doesn't want to lose what he has so carefully crafted and amassed for himself, his inheritance. I will endanger my inheritance. So, no, 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 I, I can't do it. And at that moment, he assumed he was losing something if he didn't buy the land rather than gaining. He thought saying no would avert this great personal loss. When in reality, reality, by refusing to give, he was actually losing big time. In fact, there were two huge things that he lost. 
Are you curious at all about what those were? He lost eternal fame and the admiration of millions as God removed his name from history. It's not recorded in the book. In the English text, it probably says in your text, it doesn't mind, friend. Friend, come on over here, let's talk. But the Hebrew phrase for this is really important to know because the author writing in Hebrew uses a, um, what's called a farago. It's a poetic term to mean two unrelated words are mashed together to describe something. And in the Hebrew, he's called poloni almoni. Hey, poloni almoni, come on over here. Now, those are two words. Uh, poloni simply means something, some certain thing. And almoni means very quiet one. And so they're thrown together, much like in English, we use, use the, the words hodgepodge or hocus pocus or helter skelter, heebie-jeebie, those types of words. They're farragos, we cram them together, we give it a new meaning, and it becomes a word that uh, lives forever. Well, the author of Ruth takes these two words, almoni poloni, pushes them together, and in essence says, this guy's a phony baloney. In fact, he's a first-class schmuck, right? He's a guy who is refusing to do his duty before God. And interestingly, in the text, He's immediately dismissed as irrelevant to the whole process. No name, no identity. He's not worthy of our attention. Uh, he's a selfish man, and he disappears from the pages of Scripture as quickly as he appears in them. And so he gives up this eternal fame. Think about it. We are reading about Boaz how many thousands of years after he did this? Because God immortalized that moment of giving up to gain because it was done in loyal love for the well-being of another person. And this man who thought he was going to gain something and then pulls back is completely forgotten in the dust of history, other than his wonderful name, Poloni Almoni, certain silent one. Folks, he's in stark contrast to Boaz. Boaz is this man of noble character, this man of loyal love who acts out in courageous love of God for the well-being of others. The second thing he loses, and this is even more important, is he loses the opportunity to be related to Jesus. He forfeits that. Look at verse 16. We're going to skip ahead just a bit and then come back. This is the end of the story. Naomi takes the child that's been born, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse, became his godmother. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a father or a son has been born to Naomi. They named him, notice what they name him, servant. That's what Obed means, servant. And the author of Ruth takes that and says, yes, he is the servant of God who will ultimately bring forth the servant of God. And so he gets this name, Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. These are the generations, and it gives all the generations from Perez who founded Bethlehem all the way down to King David. And ultimately, 26 generations later, Jesus Christ comes out of the lineage of all of that. So he gives this up, thinking he was gaining his own wealth, keeping what was important to him. Notice, lastly, that Boaz was determined to give to gain. This was a, a rock bed determination of his. Look at verses 7 through 15. It says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. 
to confirm a tra transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. By the way, do you know why they did that? Seems like an odd custom, doesn't it? How many of you, when you bought your home, got a sandal from the real estate agent or from the former owner? <laughs> Nobody. But if you remember back in the early era of Abraham, God says to him, Abraham, wherever the sole of your foot treads, that land belongs to you. So Abraham took a really long walk in his sandals. And from that point forward, any time land was exchanged in Israel, the land you had walked, you would take off your sandal and you would hand it to the person as a symbol of new ownership. So what a beautiful picture here as Almoni Poloni takes off his sandal and he hands it over. And he says to Boaz, buy it for yourself. Notice what he doesn't include there. And marry Ruth, the Moabite. Again, his whole focus is on property and what you own, and this is mine. Go ahead and buy the land for yourself. He gives his sandal. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day, I have bought from the, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have redeemed to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. What is Boaz's motivation? Is it personal? To gain something for himself, much like the other kinsman redeemer thought he was going to do? No. His whole purpose is to benefit someone else. And, and by the way, he doesn't get to negotiate on the property. I, I like when I buy a used car, I love to negotiate. My wife hates it. In fact, oftentimes she won't go with me to buy a car because, ah, no, 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 no. But guys, how many of you like to negotiate a sale, right? You like to dicker a little bit? None of that. What's the market price of the property? Okay, that's what I'm paying. He wasn't concerned about his own welfare. What he was concerned about was Malon and Elimelech. And that if he didn't do something, their names would die out into history. Nobody would know about them. Their property was gone. In Israel, property was everything. It had been given by God to the people of Israel, and you had to maintain it. And so he does. He buys the property knowing that it's going to be given to someone else. He had every reason to not give, to gain. He was a wealthy landowner. Uh, Ruth was this Moabite scab worker who shows up in his field. Um, he's going to have to marry a Moabite woman rather than an Israelite woman. And he had to deal with all the cultural questions that went with that decision. And he's going to have to raise up this son who would inherit that land himself, and it would be called the land of Elimelech and Malon and Obed, giving it up completely. What an amazing act. But giving always pays great dividends when it is done with the sacrificial love of God. So folks, when you see a need and you decide to give to it, whatever it is, if you are doing it out of an act of loyal love, not to look good, not to gain in some way, not to have something back on the back end for yourself, but doing it simply for the benefit of this individual because it will bless them, it will do good to them. That kind of loyal love, God says, has great gain. I want you to notice, last week Jared did a really great job of talking to us about the work of the kinsman redeemer. We're going to put that up on the screen for just a moment, remind ourselves of what Boaz's job was. 
And you notice it was, first of all, to buy back all family land that had been lost through death. So if you were a relative of someone who had completely died in terms of dad and sons who would inherit the property, it was your job to go and buy it back, bring it into the family. So that was one. Secondly, it was to buy back fellow Israelites out of slavery. If anybody enslaved themselves for a period of seven years because of their debts, your job as the kinsman redeemer was to go and get them out of slavery and restore them to their property and to their well-being. Thirdly, it was to avenge the blood of any murdered family member. This was a, a custom in Israel. They didn't have a huge police force. But if a wrong had been done and it was truly murder, it was the job of the kinsman redeemer to avenge the murdered family member. And fourthly, to carry on the family name by marrying, marrying a childless widow of a deceased family member. And that's what's happening here. He's buying back the family land. He's carrying on the family name. I want you to notice this morning that what Boaz did with his wallet, Jesus did for us with the cross. So Ruth is not a Jew, she's a Gentile, but she's been brought close to the family of God. And if you're here this morning and you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And through Jesus Christ, you have been brought close to God. Look at the transactions. We'll put these up on the screens as well. Jesus, as our kinsman redeemer, redeems all creation lost through death. You may be familiar with Romans 8, 19 through 21. I want to read it for you. Because in this passage, it talks about how Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is redeeming all nature, all the brokenness of our created world. He says, For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For in this we hope, in this hope we were saved. Folks, when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, we have the opportunity to be saved from our brokenness, our sinfulness, and be brought into the kingdom of God. But he didn't stop there. He reaches out to all of creation. And he says, the day is coming when I will restore creation back to its perfection. Can you imagine going on vacation and not having to worry about mosquitoes, right? Or ticks, or insect bites, or anything else that happens in nature, the tornadoes, all of the, the brokenness of our world. God says, I'm going to redeem that because Jesus redeems it at the cross. Secondly, he provides freedom to all enslaved humanity. So where Boaz redeems two people, Naomi and Ruth, Jesus redeems all of humanity, gives freedom from our history, our past, our struggles. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ set us free. What a wonderful, beautiful picture for all of humanity, not just for a few people. Jesus is the final judge and destroyer of Satan's sin and death, the great enemies of mankind. 1 John 3.8 says, He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The scriptures tell us if a person does not belong to God, they literally belong to Satan. That's a horrible thought. 
but it's a reality of the supernatural world. You're on one side or the other. There's no middle ground. So if you belong to Christ, you're Christ's. If you don't, you belong to Satan and his world. But the text goes on to say the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work as our kinsman redeemer. And lastly, Jesus gives us his name and adopts us as his own, any who will come to him. And we find again in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, we are heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Boaz redeems on a very limited scale. Jesus redeems on a global scale. All of nature, all of sin, all of our slavery, giving us freedom, adopting us into his family, these incredible, beautiful realities. And like Jesus, Boaz's purpose was to be a blessing to others. You see that in this passage. I'm doing this for Ruth. I'm doing it for Naomi. And the people respond with high hopes for he and Ruth. Notice in the text, what do they say? These women who gather around, they, they shout out, may Ruth be as fertile as Rachel and Leah. Do you remember who they were? They were the two wives who produced six children each, 12. May she have 12 kids. Can you imagine? You ever been at a wedding where someone in the audience shouts out to the bride, may you be as fertile as two really great women doesn't happen but they're saying we want you to have a lot of kids we want you to have this heritage they say we want Boaz to be famous in Bethlehem is he famous in Bethlehem yes he is we know about him today and may your heritage be as famous as Perez's the guy who founded Bethlehem may you have a long legacy It'd be like somebody who says, may you have the same long legacy as William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth Colony in 1600s. May you have that kind of heritage. Well, you can trace back. And God gives the gain. Look at the last part of this. The, Ruth, the Lord enables Ruth to conceive. How long had she been barren? She was married to Malon for, that's right, 10 years. Barren, no children. Within a year, she becomes pregnant and she bears this child. And this child becomes the grandfather of King David who brings even greater fame to the family name and ultimately it brings about the birth of Jesus Christ 26 generations later. So what are we called upon to give so that we can gain? Are there any guidelines in Scripture for us? We know for Boaz it was a very specific thing. What would it be for you and I? What would God say to us today? Give this up to gain this. Well, Jesus tells us actually in John 12. He has this conversation with his disciples. And he affirms this. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... 
it remains only a single seed. How many of you have packets of seeds in your garage? We do at my house. Brought them up from Carlsbad. Haven't planted them. Guess what? They're still in the pocket. They haven't done a thing. And Jesus' point is, look, you can go through life as a seed, but until you get put in the ground and die, and that shell opens up, it won't produce many seeds. But when it does, it produces a great harvest. Verse 25 says, The man who loves his life, Poloni Almoni, will lose it. But the man who hates his life in this world, puts it into perspective, sees what true wealth is, will keep it for eternal life. And here's his giving up statement. Whoever serves me must follow me. It always begins with following. Where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So if you're asking the question this morning, what should I give up? Jesus would answer it, be with me. Do what I do. Follow me. Engage in a life that lives out the values that I have rather than the values you might have. Become that kind of kinsman redeemer in life who looks around as Jesus looked at our world and said, they need someone to die for their sins, and I'm the only one who can do it. And he comes from heaven, takes on humanity, lives a perfect life, dies and resurrects, and we'll celebrate that in two weeks. And he says to us, follow me. Do the things that I do. And here's the thing. For those of us who choose that life, and my prayer for us is that we all would, God has a gain that you can't begin to imagine. Do you think Boaz knew at the time he redeemed Ruth that you and I would be reading about him today? Of course not. How could he know? And yet God took his gift and brought it into the game where you and I can sit here on a Sunday morning, look at his story, and gain out of it. God has blessings to give to those who follow him. We don't know the extent of what that will be. We don't know whose life will be changed by what you give of yourself, of all that God has placed in your care. We don't know who will ultimately be changed because we did that. In heaven, you'll have people walking up to you saying, hey, I'm so-and-so from this nation, and what you did changed my life. Won't that be an exciting moment? We can't foresee the greatness of God's plan for Redlands because Trinity Church gives of itself, of whatever God has given us to manage and to, to care for. And we have no idea of the incredible things that God will do if you serve as Jesus served. Imagine, imagine what God could do with you and the simple act of giving to gain with loyal love. I like the way Daniel Block, who is probably the best theologian on the book of Ruth, his commentary on these four chapters is four inches thick. Yeah, it's amazing. But he writes at the very end of his commentary about the very end of Ruth, and he says this, and I want to read this for you and then end in prayer. He says, this book and this genealogy demonstrate that in the dark days of the judges, the chosen line is preserved not by heroic exploits, not by deliverers or kings, but by the good hand of God who rewards good people with a faithfulness beyond all imagination. 
These characters could not know what long-range fruit their compassionate, loyal conduct toward each other would bear, but the narrator knows, and with this genealogy, he declares the faithfulness of God, preserving the name that would bear the royal seed in troubled times and in rewarding the genuine godliness of his people. If only, he writes, if only the nation of Israel had at that moment in time during the days of the judges, demonstrated such a covenant faithfulness at the same time, the book of Judges would end totally different. In fact, we might not even have the book of Judges because its purpose was to show how the Israelites become Canaanites because they rejected God's loyal love. The Bible would be possibly a little shorter. He says, In this genealogy, the names of Boaz and Obed are indeed proclaimed far beyond Bethlehem and Israel to the ends of the earth, but the narrator could not know what implications the pieties of these characters would have on generations of his own people that would come after him. If only he had known that in the glorious providence of God, the said loyal love of Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi would have laid the groundwork for the history of salvation that extends far beyond his own time and place. For as in the genealogy of Matthew 1 indicates, one greater than David comes from the line of Boaz. And in the dark days of the judges, the foundation is laid for the line that would produce the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer of a lost and destitute humanity. What a beautiful ending to this book. With all of its struggle at the beginning, right? All of its fears and isolation and burdens and distress and trauma. God weaves it through to a point where he says, look at how my loyal love changes people. And all I'm asking is that you give to gain. Act in loyal love. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads with me and let's wrap up this chapter with some reflective moments. With your heads bowed, if you don't mind, let's pray. Father, we want to be like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz who willingly gave what they had to gain what you offer, things they couldn't even begin to understand, far beyond their time, far beyond their perspective, but you knew you would do through them. Lord, we pray that you would take the seeds of our lives and let us die to ourselves. Father, let us uh, die to our desires, our uh, agendas, our dreams, our wealth, so that others can be benefited. Father, this is such a beautiful picture of Jesus and and how he came and lived among us and suffered as a servant, as an Obed, and ultimately died in our place and was resurrected to proclaim his victory over death and sin and darkness. Father, as we look forward in the next two weeks to remembering that sacrifice, please, please, Lord, engage our hearts. Deepen our willingness. Prepare us to give of ourselves so that we can we can join him in, in seeing our world changed and made new because we have given and you produce the gain. Men and women, young men, young women, would you please take a moment and consider what are you willing to give for the cause of Jesus so that others might gain? Will you say no to your desires so that others can say yes to Jesus? Yes to spiritual growth. Yes to uh, a new future in God's kingdom. Will you invite God right now 
and over the next two weeks as we lead up to Easter, will you invite him to guide you into what he would have you give, release, sacrifice, offer to him so that you might serve others in the name of Jesus and see again, perhaps right now, but perhaps something you won't even see till eternity, but which God will ordain and God will do. Father, we pray that you would impress our hearts with your desires because you alone are the one who speaks into our lives through your word, through your spirit. Help us, Father, to be like Boaz and Naomi and Ruth who were willing to sacrifice and gain so that others might be blessed, including us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.